talking to me It's the age of princesses and pirate ships And the seven dwarfs Daddy's smart and you're the prettiest lady In the whole wide world Now I know why all the trees change in the fall I know you were on my side Even when I was wrong And I love you for giving me your eyes For staying back and watching me shine And I didn't know if you knew So I'm taking this chance to say That I had the best day Good morning to our listeners uh, in Seattle and across the world, hopefully. Yes. I'm Sebastian Lopez Vergara. And I'm Ridley Metanegabauer, and welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. And today we have a special guest. We have Caitlin Alcorn. Yeah. How are you, Caitlin? I'm good. How are y'all? <laughs> good. And, and today we're going to learn all about Taylor Swift. Yes. Look so. out. Yeah. Why, why, why uh, Tay Swift? I love T Swift. Uh, I'm a proud out T Swift fan. Are you a Swifty? I'm a proper. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm like the upper age limits of being a Swift. Oh, really? <laughs> what are those ages? I think it's like her main fan base is like 12 to 16. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like way out of it, but that's okay. Um, but yes, I love T Swift. I think I was talking about this with you earlier. I think part of it is. Part of it is when I listen to music, I either want to be like dancing or crying and like no nothing else. Those are the emotions I go for. And so <laughs> with T-Swift, you have either like these super poppy bops or you have these like super dramatic love ballads that are so detailed. And so um, and then I think part of it, too, is like when I grew up, I was listening to like Britney Spears and mm. NSYNC and Christina Aguilera, you know, this like super mainstream pop and they never, for the most part, didn't write any of their own songs. Oh, and, and so, so what, that's what very particular of takes with? Yeah, so like having like a young, you know, she started writing songs when she was like 13 or something, you know, so mm. she's just having like a young When did artist. she start recording? I think her first record deal was when she was like 15 or something. Her family... They she <laughs> she grew up in Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. And I then, thought she was from like Nashville or something. So her whole family moved to Nashville for her when she was like fourteen oh. to try to get a record deal. Um, but since then, she's been writing her own. I mean, she has co-writers sometimes. She works with co-writers, but um, yeah. So just you know that this young girl is writing her own songs and being so open and about emotions and things she's going through. That I don't know. It's just like. A, yeah, and I know that's like not a rare thing in music <laughs> to be writing your own songs, but in this like kind of mainstream pop world, it is just like a nice refreshing. And and you've seen her live, right? Yes, I have seen her live twice. How was that experience? It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw <laughs> I saw her on the Speak Now tour. When Which I was, was when? That was when uh, I think 2011. Okay. Uh, and then I just recently saw her on the Reputation Stadium tour here in Seattle last year, or 2018, I think it was. 
and yeah, she puts on such a show, and it's like in these huge stadiums, you know, but she d- always does some songs where it's just like her and the guitar, her and the piano, and it feels even though you're with, you know, 10,000 other people, it feels like a little intimate show. But then she also has, like, fireworks and stuff. So, okay. like, dancers, and it's amazing. So, the whole spectrum of, like, pop. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. So, Caitlin, can you tell us a little bit about the song we just heard, The uh, Best Day, and then what we're going to hear next? Yes. So, The Best Day, that was from her second album called Fearless, which I think won Grammy of the Year, or, like, album of the year and um that song i think for anyone who's watched the miss americana documentary one big takeaway for me was how on netflix yes how amazing her mom is and like the important role that she's played in taylor's life and the kind of momagers don't generally have like such a great reputation Mm. in the music industry but her mom seems like she's just always the person who's there for taylor and there's a really sweet line in the song where she's like you were on my side even when I was wrong and you like you stepped back and like made room for me to shine you know like her mom like sacrificed everything for hmm. Taylor to like make this chance take this chance in a career and just she had, we'll listen to another song about her mom later but anyways I really love that song and then the next two songs are from uh, Speak Now uh, which is the one I saw in concert and they're both two really dramatic love ballads um, the first one called Last Kiss is supposedly about Joe Jonas, but it has these like really great lines about like she takes these like very universal kind of experiences of heartbreak and love or whatever and then includes these like very specific details about like at this date at this time this thing happened you know and anyway so it's just really great and then the second one (laughs) is also a love ballad uh breakup about uh it's called dear john do we know who john is yes we do (laughs) um so it's supposedly about john mayer and a clue to that is who she was like 18 he was like 30 when they dated so already yeah gross but the song, <laughs> she includes these like really amazing uh, guitar riffs that she normally doesn't include huh. in songs, but that he often does. So anyways, it's a song about him and kind of in sounding like a John Mayer song, huh. which is amazing. Okay, so let's go. Oh, by the way, I got a remark that Caitlin is wearing a Taylor Swift uh, sweatshirt today. As yes. well as a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I am. She, she's totally decked out for the day. <laughs> All right, here we go. I still remember the look on your face that through the darkness at one fifty eight. You whisper just us to know you told me you love me. So why did you go away? Your heart. 
jumps through your shirt I can still feel your arms But now I'll go Sit on the floor wearing your clothes All that I know is I don't know How to be something you miss I never thought we'd have a
And welcome back. All right. So, you know, I didn't really know much about Taylor Swift at all, but I did watch her Netflix documentary in preparation for the show. But then also... I watched the first 30 minutes. <laughs> you did? <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think... So, I study public pension funds and private equity for this PhD. But as part of that, Taylor Swift was... All in my uh, news feed recently because she had something to say about private equity, which I thought was very interesting. Could and you explain to listeners what yeah. private equity is? Yeah. So private equity is, you know, like how we have stocks and bonds that are publicly traded. Private equity is a financial vehicle that allows big institutional investors or very, very wealthy people to invest in a fund. And then that fund goes and buys a bunch of portfolio companies. So things like Safeway, Albertsons, Payless, uh, Toys R Us, a lot of retail is actually owned by private equity. Mm. But then also, which something I didn't really realize, is that a lot of music is also owned by mm. private equity. And what I thought was kind of rare, it, well, it's kind of rare for actually a, an artist to actually own their music. Um, and so Taylor... For Taylor, so her, the, the big studio that produced a lot of her albums, her early albums, uh, Big Machine, right? So Big Machine was recently bought out in 2019 by this big private equity, like one of the, the Mordor of, hmm. of private equity called Carlisle Group. And uh, they're these big evil people. Um, and so they bought out Big Machine through this thing called Ithaca Holdings, which uh, you might have heard of this guy's name, Scooter Braun. He he owns Ithaca Holdings. That's a horrible name, too. Yes, exactly. So anyway, so these guys own Taylor's early albums. And so Taylor wanted to perform some of the songs from these early albums and um, uh, use some of the music in this Netflix documentary 
and they wouldn't allow her to do so. And so she naturally got upset and started, she wrote this Tumblr post about it, and her fans went berserk on her behalf, and uh, <laughs> they, 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 you know, uh, really urged uh, Scooter and his company to release her from that or at least sell her music back to her so that she could perform it as she wished. How much were, were they asking? Oh, I mean, I mean millions of dollars. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, millions of dollars. And, um, and, and so much so that these the, the fans, they went and reached out to Hassan Minaj and talked to him about this private equity thing. And then Hassan Minaj did this whole piece about Carlisle and what Carlisle was invested in. Um, but, uh, you know, as part of all of this, she's been talking about private equity since and talking about how private equity owns her music. But then also what I, and I don't think she's necessarily talked about this, but I think it's something in the broader s sphere, which is important for, you know, just for people to know is that private equity has affected incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. You know, the private equity owns a lot of private prison contractors, a lot of retail, a lot of hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, so when we're thinking about the impact of coronavirus, just be aware that private equity, which is motivated to cut costs, to cut staff, and imagine what sort of impact that would have on providing care mm. in, in times like of crisis, like uh, public health crises, like this coronavirus situation. So anyway, just to wrap that up, I think it's really interesting that Taylor Swift is tweeting and posting and organizing her fans to be become educated about private equity uh, and and building more awareness about it because actually more and more companies are owned by private equity than publicly traded, which means that there's oh. less um, governance that we can have. And, and the other exciting little angle of all of this is that private equity gets a lot of money from public pension funds. Mm. So a lot of teachers and police officers and firefighters and public government sector employees actually own Taylor's music. Um, all the way from California to Florida, they're state-level public pension funds that own her music. Um, but I, if Taylor Swift is listening to our podcast, this is something that you could mobilize around, Taylor, and get reclaim your music. Um, but until then, we have... The next four songs from her early earlier albums, right, right, Caitlin? Mm -hmm. Well, can you tell us about the next four songs? Yes. So the next four are from um, Red, nineteen eighty nine, and Reputation. So uh, it's these first six albums that um, that Big Machine sold to Scooter Braun. So it's only her newest album, Lover, that she actually owns. Um, but anyway, so these songs are from those early ones. So the first two are from Red. Um, the second one, called All Too Well, is my all-time favorite T-Swift song. Uh, another love ballad, another breakup ballad. Unfortunately, supposedly about Jake Gyllenhaal, but just ignore that while you listen Ooh. to the beautiful lyrics. Um, <laughs> and then the one after that is called Clean from 1989, and that was written with Imogen Heap. Um, oh. So that's like in her like full pop, no more country stage. And then the next one is from Reputation called Getaway Car, which is just... Um, it's also a breakup song, but it's kind of a fun one, and one where Taylor's like taking, she like kind of left one guy and went with another guy, and anyways, um, it's just my favorite song from that album. Oh, I remember really that part from the documentary. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. That she was having all these boys in her apartment or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Can you press over there? All right, here we go. I was reminiscing just the other 
Your sister's house, and you still got it in your drawer, even now. Thank you. 
Drought was the fairy word 
struck a match and blew your mind, but I didn't mean it, and you didn't see it. The ties were black, the lies were white, and shades of gray in candlelight. I wanted to leave him. And welcome back. So we're going to be talking about um, our last 15, well, no, like three minutes probably. And then we're going to play a couple of songs. But we wanted to address uh, Taylor Swift's 
political awakening. But before that, um, I'm curious to hear a little about, uh, say, like early 2016, 15 of... Um, denunciations about um, relations or something between Taylor Swift and white supremacists. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that? What white supremacists saw on, in Taylor Swift? What was going on there? Yeah, so I think, so she kind of was infamous or famous for not speaking anything about politics, not getting involved in politics at all. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but Um, a lot of these like white supremacist online groups kind of interpreted that as that she was the secret MAGA or, you know, Trump supporter, conservative. And like her reason for not speaking out was that she was conservative in this, you know, mm. historic, you know, famously kind of left it leftist industry. Um, and so, yeah, there were all these like things online about her propping her up as this like. I've seen, you know, this like Aryan queen. She's mm. this like white lady, blonde hair, blue eyes, and she's a secret, uh, secret Republican, secret white supremacist. Not maybe not secret white supremacist, but secret, you know, mm -hmm. uh, right wing political figure. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, and uh, recently in interviews she said that she at the time she didn't know about it, and then when she found out, she was like disgusted and so like repulsed by it. But um, whether or not she didn't know about it at the time is maybe up for debate, but mm. yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, can you talk a little bit more about her political awakening coming up? I mean, one, she's moving away. We can kind of hear that from the list today from uh, country music and more to pop and kind of the role of some uh, other artists in her life and that kind of perhaps scared her from speaking out and then... What what changed? What emboldened her? Right. Yeah. So she for so so long never got into politics, and you she covered in the documentary how you know she just felt like she's this young little girl, and she doesn't want to offend anyone. She was everyone told her just be a nice girl, don't don't push your views on anyone, and that was kind of reinforced over and over through not saying things and being like rewarded for that. And then also um, she talks about when she was young, she was a big fan of the Dixie Chicks and, you know, they were like at the top of country and Natalie Maines, the lead singer, made one comment about being ashamed President Bush was from Texas and their like entire careers were destroyed up because of that and people boycotted them and destroyed their albums. And so everyone kind of, she internalized that and also people around her told her, you know, don't be like the Dixie Chicks, like mm. just keep your stuff to yourself. And mm -hmm. even in the documentary, it shows when she's kind of deciding to make this post about uh, midterm elections in Tennessee, her manager or people around her are like, oh, yeah, here's an idea of how to like cut in half all of your tour attendance and, you know, all these things. And so her for so long, you know, taking that advice and, and going with that and finally not doing it. And I think part of it was... Um, her own experience with the sexual assault mm -hmm. case with this DJ in um, mm. Colorado and having to go through that experience and in recognizing, you know, she was believed and she won this case and recognizing her own privilege in that as this rich, white, publicly public person, you know, and recognizing that, you know, in most of those cases, people aren't, women aren't believed. Um, and then feeling like, you know, she she really regretted not speaking out in 2016 against Trump. And she kind of talked about her reasoning for that being, she was really unpopular at that in that moment. Mm. and didn't feel like she would actually help anyone by, by, by coming out. 
Um, but so anyway, so that kind of drove her her decision to speak out for the first time in the midterm elections, uh, particularly for in Tennessee where she's where she was at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, what are we gonna listen to to close our show? So um, the, we have one song that's with. Um, This is a song from the latest album with the Dixie Chicks, uh, and it's again about her mom, uh, and her mom <laughs> covers in the documentary too about her mom was diagnosed with cancer, and this song um, is is about that and Taylor um, kind of dealing with that. And then I think maybe we'll will we come back? Uh, yeah. Or should we just go through all of them? I, I think uh, because of time, maybe just go through all of them. Okay, and then um, the one after that. Or, uh, the, the man the man yes yeah. so that was the one that recently had a video that um that you enjoyed yes, right? I enjoyed it <laughs> quite a bit it came up while i was doing a lot of my private equity research on taylor swift and yeah it came across this video where taylor swift is dressed as a white man and talks about all the privileges that are uh given to white men around the world and um and and what her life would have been like if she was was a white hmm. man so mm -hmm. i thought that was a very interesting perspective for her to take and um yeah i, I highly encourage everybody to check out that music video it's really interesting Great. and it's really fun because what she, she always does this in all her songs and, and videos of puts these like easter eggs in of like little clues and so at one in one scene the guy's like peeing in a subway station mm -hmm. and the names of her albums are spray painted on the wall and there's a sign that says like if missing if found return to taylor swift because it's all the albums that are owned uh -huh. by uh -huh. this equity group and yeah. then there's also like a scoot a picture of a scooter crossed out oh, nice. in reference to, to scooter, scooter. brown <laughs> wow, yeah, so really great. fun Didn't completely missed all of that that's why we have you here caitlin our taylor yeah. swift expert <laughs> yes. well that's it for today oh and there's one more song yeah. we're going to listen to only the young Um, as well? Yes, so that was a song she wrote after she finally came out in, in support of Democrats in the midterm election in Tennessee, and then the Republican candidate still won, and she's kind of writing about her and other people's disappointment with the midterm elections of, you know, you put all this effort into these campaigns and then you still lose, and um, so it's kind of talking about that, and yeah. Well, welcome right. to politics, Tay Tay. <laughs> yes. All right, here we go. of my coat were tangled in my hair in doctor's office lighting I didn't tell you I was scared that was the first time we were there holy orange bottles each night I pray to you desperate people find faith so now I pray to Jesus too and I say to you
complex I would be cool they'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to and that would be okay for me to do every conquest I had made would make me more of a boss to you I'd be a fearless leader I'd be an alpha type when everyone believes ya what's that like I'm so sick of running as fast as I can Wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man And I'm so sick of them coming at me again Cause if I was a man Then I'd be the man And question how much of this I deserve What I was wearing If I was rude Could I be separated from my good ideas and power moves And they would toast to me or Let the players play I'd be just like Leo In Saint-Tropez I'm so sick of running as fast as I can Wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man